this is your Uncle Terry, you see, and you're listening to the roller coaster ride of a podcast, The Sirens of Audio. G'day audiophiles, this is the Sirens of Audio, the show that explores the universe of Doctor Who in the audio medium. My name is Dwayne. And my name is Philip. G'day Dwayne, g'day audiophiles. G'day Philip. It's uh, my great pleasure to welcome back after far too long away, uh, the Birmingham's King of the Geeks, it's Dan Hadley. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Every time somebody else says that, I think that's ridiculous. Who would say... Who would say something like that? It sounds outrageous and ridiculous. Then I remember that I say it at least twice a week. Hello, Philip. Hello, Dwayne. I'm delighted to be invited back. And hello, audio files out there. But I can't say it with the Birmingham accent. So how's things going <laughs> over bla- there? I'll give you a blast of it later on, Dwayne. Go on. How are things going? Yeah. Are you gearing up for the Commonwealth Games? Is that happening in a few weeks? <laughs> well, I'm not interested in that because I'm a proper geek, everybody. I don't, I don't do sport. <laughs> So I, I don't go for that so much, but we've just had uh, both uh, Tom Cruise and then a couple of weeks ago, Johnny Depp was in town, both of them having a curry. And uh, so we, we like that here when people come here for our curries. And uh, Barry Manilow was in a pub just up the road from me. When would that have been? Sometime last week. So the town is still, we're still trying to sort of bring ourselves down from all that excitement. <laughs> the Copacabana came to Cradley Heath near Birmingham. Yeah, I have been to Birmingham once. I went to a, I was just passing through. Did you get the jabs before you went there, Dwayne? It was a long, long time ago. Jabs, jabs not required at the time. I stopped at a, at a big shopping center. What was it called? The post, post box or something? Mailbox. The mailbox. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. It's fabulous there. That was quite recently then. It's only been open about 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. It was about 10 years ago. Um, So I had a stop there and had some, had a, some lunch with uh, some musicians that I was interviewing for my radio show and we sitting on the edge of the canals there. Yeah. Fantastic. That's only a few miles away. What's Birmingham famous for, Dan? Uh, uh, for, uh, well, it depends on when in history you're talking about. It's been famous for, for Cadbury's, for Cadbury's chocolate. I worked for Cadbury's for many years in the design department. It's also, it was famous for locks and hunting guns in the 1800s, as we've seen the talons of went of, uh, Jiang. And um, in recent years, more famous probably for Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> <laughs> or if you, go, if you want to go Electric Light Orchestra, if you want to go a little bit lighter. Yeah, there's another one. We, yeah, some good good musicians come from this area. And Josie Lawrence, I've seen Josie Lawrence. I love Josie Lawrence. Who is, I've just seen she's in the cast list for a, a big finish that's coming out with Chris Eccleston. She, she was raised literally two streets away from where I'm speaking to you now in Old Hill. Josie Lawrence is a Cradley Heath girl, and we're all, we're all really proud of everything that, that she's done, all the TV and film and everything that she's done over the years. I'm looking forward to that big finish because when cable TV first came to Australia, one of the shows I religiously watched was Whose Line Is It Anyway? And she was always in that. Oh, yeah. God, that's going back a bit, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, the, yeah, more the, than um, 20 years, 25 years ago. The early 90s. Wow. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are here to talk about some stuff that isn't big finish for a change. We're going to talk about some of the early Doctor Who audio releases. Some of them were radio shows. Some of them were LPs. Uh, some of them um, are very, very interesting indeed. We're going to talk about uh, four of them. Uh, so we're going to talk about that in a second. But before we do, do you know what, Philip? Oh, uh, what's coming, Dwayne? We're going to jump in the rabbit hole. Let's go, Dan. Oh. <laughs> Right. Uh, for this rabbit hole topic, uh, I am going to ask each of you, because I've got uh, a couple of different fans with me, I'm curious to know a bit more about you guys. Um, I want to know if there is anything you are a fan of as much as or coming close to Doctor Who. Philip, have you got anything that you come close to as far as fandom goes? Oh, I would do it. I mean, Blake 7 would be up there... As much, you know, up there with Doctor Who, it's just you know, not as much there, not as available. So, huge, huge, huge Blake 7 fan. I'm actually reading through a Blake 7 book at the moment. Sorry, that's my dog going off. <laughs> just He's a fan of dogs, obviously. <laughs> or they're a fan of him. It's my... Oh, bingo! Shush! The dog likes Blake 7. He said it, Blake 7. It just went off. Yeah, so Blake 7 I love. Um... But I mean, also, I'm um, Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars was one. Of the, uh, <laughs> I used to be quiet the whole time. I'm keeping all this in, Philip. <laughs> At least the bell offer. Um, Star Wars was probably the first one of the big shows I first got into science fiction with too. So Doctor Who and Star Wars would have been about the same time. Uh, Star Trek. I mean, I love watching all the Star Trek. So you know, and I know often those two don't mix that well, but I've loved Star Trek. But then I love deeper dramas too. You know, the West Wing. Uh, it's still something I go back to and watch over and over again. So there's, there's lots of TV shows. Um, I, I, I'm multimedia. I love lots of shows. But then, yeah, reading, etc. But probably probably TV show. I mean, Blake 7 would be the one that'd be up there with Doctor Who. That'd be the one? Okay. Mm. What about you, Dan? It doesn't have to be TV. Of, it could of, be anything. There's a lot of crossover with Blake 7. Blake 7 means the world to me as well. And... Uh, I think over the years that seems to have, have deepened really and yeah so blake seven absolutely with you on that uh generally speaking wow yeah you've thrown thrown this one at me uh but i think the big thing for me movies wise there's, there's two but the one that stands sort of tallest is james bond absolutely love the bond movies in particular sorry all you readers out there <laughs> If it hasn't got pictures in, I don't read it. That's uh, comic books is another one of my major interests. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a big reader, but uh, yeah, the James Bond movie series, just wow. I think I think partly it's a similar thing to Doctor Who because it's always it's always been there, sort of parallel to my life. I think the I, I describe it as the history of um, the history of James Bond feels like the history of cinema from 1960 onwards, popular cinema certainly. But also, I just think it's so, so much fun. And they've got that lead character who changed his face. And yeah, it's <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what it is about Bond films. I just just love them to bits. Uh, yeah, there's Blake Seven on TV. Who's your favourite Bond and who's the best Bond? No, they're the same. Oh, no, they're not the same. No, I didn't think so. My, my personal favourite Bond 
is Daniel Craig, and I I think he's incredible in the in the role, and he's the star of my favourite Bond film, Casino Royale. And uh, I think I've had more fun in and around this most recent set of films than I ever have with with the Bond franchise. I think it's partly because of um, you know, the uh, things that podcasts that have sprung up around that uh, as well. But I think the best Bond is probably Sean Connery. I'd say, <laughs> yeah, I know it's the cliche, but he probably nailed the part. If not from the beginning, certainly within a very short period of time, and to find the part so um, wholly that everyone else who's come along afterwards, I mean, you could say that Roger Mott was a, a very, very different what he did in the part. But I think largely the fact that everybody who's taken it on since has always harkened back to Connery in some way says a lot about what he did in, across those those films, certainly the ones in the 60s. Not sure about Diamonds Are Forever, but yeah. Roger Moore just makes me smile. I know he's not the same Love as Connery, but, but I just watch his films and just smile all the way through. He's pretty funny. Yeah, I can't, that question, I can't stand answering that question, Philip, because, I, I, you know, genuinely, genuinely speaking, I, I love what all the guys do in the role. It's, again, it's similar to Doctor Who in that, in that respect. But, yeah, I'd be, um, yeah, Daniel Craig is, is my favourite. And, uh, and yet, I, I've, obviously, that didn't start until I was well into it, adulthood. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, For Your Eyes Only was the first one I saw at the movies. What was, what was your first at the movies? That was, that makes me feel so old. It was uh, A View to a Kill was the first one I saw at the cinema. Right. See, you're younger. It shows you're younger than me, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, View to a Kill, wow. Yes, yeah, so I've seen all, all the Bond films since. And at the moment, they're out in cinemas again in the UK. And I see people on Twitter, you know, people people we all know, uh, Johnny Morris and people like that, going, going to see them. At last, I've seen The Spy Who Loved Me on the big screen. I'm quite jealous of that. But uh, yeah, for me now, it's the physical media, the Blu-ray. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that for the time being. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, we must talk James Bond more sometime and Blake Seven, but not now because we've got some really great stuff to talk about. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to hear, you don't want to hear my um, fandom as well. No. Yeah, of course we do. <laughs> okay, great. What this is obviously all just so you can say what you want. What's your fandom as well? Okay, well, it wouldn't be a, I guess it is a fandom, but it's a musical. So my, on equal footing, I've got Doctor Who, uh, television-wise and music-wise, I have a band that I've been following since they came out in 1983. Big country. Big country. Yes, <laughs> I've been following them all my life, pretty much. So when I was 10 years old, they uh, released their first record. So um, and I was t telling you before we started, Dan, that I was in Birmingham, and that's why I was in Birmingham. Uh, passing through I was over there following big country around they'd reformed so that was my excuse to come to the UK okay. and follow them around so uh yeah that's that's probably my number my number one uh you know Kate Bush is making a big uh um name for herself again in the charts through Stranger Things um so but I was enjoying Kate Bush back in the 80s Hounds of Love that was a great album the album that uh, Running Up That Hill's come from which is, I think that's still number one in the charts, or it was uh, It was when I last checked. Um, so, yeah, got lots of different music ones, but Big Country is, the, is my number one. See, we're going music, I've got to go ABBA, because I'm, I'm almost ready to book a flight to England to go to the ABBA concert. You should do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. If you like ABBA as oh, much as cool. I like Big Country, do it. 
<laughs> you have That's, to. Yeah, very hardcore ABBA. Yeah, ABBA fan. If you're willing to come across half the world for a for a fancy light show, it does look incredible. I grew up listening to ABBA as well, and yeah, I love it. Music wise, you know, one of my favourite bands are uh, In Excess. Funny enough. Oh, there you go. Good. Massive fan of In Excess since the eighties. Uh, but if you talk, talk about music, uh, my favourite probably Depeche Mode above above all. But In, in Excess and Duran Duran aren't, aren't too far behind that. <laughs> cool. All right, before we talk too much more about this, let's climb out of the rabbit hole and talk about the very first story that we are going to discuss, and that is Exploration Earth. And I'm putting these in order of release, so chronologically, uh, when these particular stories came out. So the first one we're going to talk about is Exploration Earth. Here's a clip. We're sliding with enormous speed in retrograde time. Let's look at the chronometric astrometer. Yes. The way we're going, we could be out of all Earth's time reckoning soon. We've stopped. There's a force. It's gripped the TARDIS. I don't know what it is, but it's interesting. Yes, it's very interesting. We've gone back 4,500 million years Earth time. Oh, don't you ever feel lonely, Doctor? I do. I do now. 4,500 million years back down the wastes of space-time. 4,500 million years. Yes! Yes, that rings a bell. Sarah, I think you're going to be able to see what your funny little planet started from. How? How are we going to see the start of dear old Earth? What, just open the TARDIS door and step out into endless empty space with no atmosphere? Just step into this capsule with me. Oh, not very big, is it? Well, it's a two-person capsule. All right, Dan, you're the guest. <laughs> tell us tell us what you thought when I asked you to come on and talk about this one, Exploration Earth. Do you remember much about it? Because it's only been released uh, in the last 20 years, so it's... It, it's only been that long that it's had an actual release. Yeah, the, all of these stories, they are uh, a cluster of releases, produc- productions is probably a better word, that came out over a, over a, a period of time. And I feel that, that back in the 90s, and particularly, particularly the 80s, that trying to find them, let alone listen to them, was almost like this sort of rite of passage that all fans had to sort of find and, and, to, and to travel. But this one, this first one, Exploration Earth, was something that I only ever read about. And as you say, it, it just wasn't available anywhere. I think I knew of somebody who said that they'd heard it. But it's also, that title, Exploration Earth, it doesn't tell you anything. It's not the the curse of whatever the so-and-so of doom. It doesn't tell you anything. And so often I would completely forget about it, as I had until the CD came out, because it's on, it's twinned with another release altogether, isn't it? And so when I eventually heard it, I was, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Tom, but I was crushingly disappointed. And it's, <laughs> uh, I think, uh, obviously, this, it was an educational strand, wasn't it? Broadcast on, on BBC Radio back in 1974. Ish, something like that. I think seventy six. Seventy six was it? So it's right, right there too. Yeah. So um, this to me is um, purely educational. There's very little in the way of a narrative to latch onto, 
And so even though it's quite short, I can't remember how short, I think 20, 25 minutes, I, I, it struggles to hold my attention, guys. And that's even with Tom and, and Liz there, who they are their characters, you know, it's them. But uh, it, I remember I remember going to school in Great Britain, obviously, in the late 70s and through the 80s, and they'd often wheel in a television on stilts and they would play out educational TV quite regularly, you know, something like once a week. And some of those shows are better than others. Some of them are more, more engaging than others. But occasionally we would have these radio shows and a great deal of them were bloody awful. And it didn't matter what the topic was, you know, they just so dry. And I think this suffers from that, from that a little, I think it's a, it's a curiosity and very little more to me. I mean, some of the things, and I can see what they're trying to do with it. Don't get me wrong. And I think that they do try to, to brighten it up a little with uh, phrases like uh, the comprehensive telesite. What is that? It sounds very Doctor Who-ish. It just doesn't mean anything particular. And I think Tom has fun where he can, but it's not very engaging, is it, Philip? Well, <laughs> no. It's just, when, I was, when I was at primary school, one of the things that the... Um, I used to love buying all the Doctor Who books. Actually, I used to buy them, but yeah, yeah go, going to the doctor, into the library... And I remember when the librarian bought a whole series of Doctor Who discovery books and thinking, wow, these are going to be the best things ever. And the covers were magnificent. And then when you actually got into them, they were just boring. Just, you know, factual books about, yeah, with a bit of Doctor Who woven in. And this is what that felt like. It's an audio drama. It's, it's made for, it's a third in a series of stories for children trying to explain how the earth was made. I, I mean, I don't think the science was that to start off with, but Maybe, maybe the science is okay, but certainly in terms of do I think I actually learned how the Earth was created throughout and the universe was created, I'm not sure it actually did teach me anything. I think it was trying to, but it didn't really come across that well. Um, I mean, I think it was obvious that, you know, Bernard Venables, who's the writer, he obviously writes kid stuff and science stuff, but he hadn't been doctor before. And so I think, yeah, his view of Sarah Jane was the typical companion oh, Doctor, what do we do next? And, oh, what's that? And so she just wasn't... I, don't, I think Elizabeth Slayton, I think she did the very best she could to rescue the part. And I suspect she probably changed a few lines in there. But there's a lot of dialogue that just isn't her. And, yeah, it, yeah it's if it is 20 minutes long, it's however long it is, it's too long. And, yeah, when they bring in the Chaos character, uh, the Megron, um, it feels Lots like... Lots of roaring. It feels like it's really getting desperate at that point. So once again, yeah, the actor there, John Westbrook, I'm not sure I didn't look up what else he's done. Uh, I think he was trying hard. And I, th- and I think all of them are trying hard to try and make yeah. what is a pretty boring event. Or oh, sorry, the creation of the earth boring. <laughs> but in terms of you know, trying to explain 20 billion years of creation into <laughs> 20 minutes, they, they were doing... <laughs> Tall they, order. <laughs> yeah, they were doing their best, but uh, yeah... It, I think I think um, when Doctor Who started, it had the twin purpose of teaching history, teaching science. And I think early on, you can see Verity Lambert wasn't trying to do too much. You know, a little bit of history, a little bit of science, be flexible about how the history worked anyhow. I think this is probably trying to be too scientific. And for that reason, it actually fails the story. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's worth listening to. But if I never hear it again, I'll be very happy. And if we can lose this and find one of the lost stories, I'd be a very happy man. Dwayne, what did you think about it? 
Uh, well, I thought uh, I was going to make a comment on the science of it too. If it's if it if this is something that's trying to describe the evolution of something, as opposed to uh, why would they put the intelligence into chaos and the non-intelligence into order? Which I thought that was very strange. That had me thinking far too much, far too more than I really wanted to. Um, I I thought the roaring was uh, very very good. That uh, that was like making me wince when the roaring was coming through my headphones. Um, Bernard Venables, I couldn't find anything about this guy. Did you find, a, apart from, I think, uh, an obituary, um, if it is the same guy, he he wrote uh, cartoons on a character called Mr. Crabtree in the Daily Mirror. It was all about fishing. He was a fishing character. So okay. I don't know too much about it. Uh, and angling was his thing. So whatever else he did, I don't know, but he was writing for the Mirror. Apparently, it's the only thing I can find on Bernard Venables. Probably a different guy, but it's interesting. What a chance! What a chance! <laughs> no, we, yeah, it, it is what it is, isn't it? That phrase, it is what it is. It's twenty minutes of, of, of fluff. Dick Mills is there from the Radiophonic Workshop, so there's lots of familiar radiophonic style sounds going throughout, which is nice for nostalgia feels and things like that. Um, and it's very interesting as a as a moment in time. But like you said, Sarah Jane is not uh, the same character. I can't imagine uh, both this and the Pescatons, which we're going to talk about shortly. Sarah Jane's written uh, from a far more male perspective than we've ever had before, I, I suspect. So, um, uh, so yeah. That- I, I mean, giving this its due, if, if it's designed for 1976, The Classroom, and this was just on the BBC, the teacher would switch it on at two o'clock after lunch until the kids sit down, shut up, and listen to this story. It might have worked in 1976. They were never supposed to. No one was ever supposed to hear it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no. I, I mean, I suspect it was actually something that was actually regularly played. I mean, yeah. You know, do you remember those? Yeah. You know, when we were back at school, there there were quite regular radio programs like um, Sing, 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 Sing. Did you Did you have that drain? Maybe that's Australia. So yes. I, I so, you know, you know, half an hour every week, I think it was Friday afternoons, Sing, Sing, Sing. It was on TV on the- when I was at school. Now you mention it, Philip, you know, the, the children's program, the school's program and the educational program in Weehart here from the BBC, that did get repeated quite a lot. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure whether that counted for the radio stuff too. I, I dare say that somebody will be in touch with the podcast to fill in our blanks. But it's it's quite likely that it was intended to be be uh, played over and over again. But I, su- I suppose Liz Sladen would have moved on not that long after that was put out, would she? No, it's, I think she may... I think by the Pescatons, she'd already gone. This was before the Pescatons. Yeah, this is before that. Um, yeah, so I mean, I may maybe for, for classroom viewing, but I do wonder about whether how much you would take in scientifically. But once again, as a classroom lesson, if the teacher then after this then had prepared a lesson on the formation of the universe and the Big Bang and things, then... Maybe it'll be okay. A useful tool. So this was the the very first original Doctor Who audio drama. Um, the character of Sarah Jane Smith had appeared a couple of years earlier in an audio play uh, called Glorious Goodwood. So apparently there was some kind of race at Goodwood that Sarah Jane was going to with the Hoomobile and she ran into a, um, I think it was Agador and some Daleks. I think, uh, and the third Doctor, John Pertwee, had a, had a small role in it, but not much is ever said about that, and that's available on 
Doctor Who at the BBC Volume 3, which I didn't get a chance to dig out. I'm not even sure if I have it. Sure, I do, but... I have it. I I know I've heard it, and I know I've got it, but uh, which of those Doctor Who at the BBC releases it was on completely escaped me. It's another three. Uh, And who wrote it? I've no idea. So, yeah, that's... Wow, it's only on for about three minutes, isn't it? I've totally forgotten about that. Calling the doctor at Unit HQ. Calling the doctor at Unit HQ. Sarah Jane Smith here. Come in, please. Hello, Sarah. The doctor speaking. Where are you? I'm at Glorious Goodwood, having a test run in the Hoomerville. I thought you might have been here, too. Hey, British Leyland are doing us proud. Uh, sorry, Sarah. I'm having my transmutatory metabolism checked over. The Brigadier's orders. He thinks I'm not safe in Bessie, let alone the Hoomerville. You know, whilst I'm not exactly a prisoner here, I, I think it'd take more than my Venusi and Karaki to get past Matron at the moment. Have a good time, Sarah, but keep your eyes open for trouble. I have a funny feeling my ESP nerve endings. Have you ever known me to be wrong? Well, I have had my suspicions at times, but I must admit it usually turns out okay in the end. Besides, I've got my emergency rescue call button if it comes to the worst. Tell you what, I think I'll have another spin around the circuit. It's a pity they won't let me go supersonic. Bye, Doctor! Hey, I hope your metabolism can bear Matron's blanket bath. Uh, Cheerio, Sarah. I'll be listening out. Oh, poor Doctor. I'll have to take him a bunch of grapes when I go back. So um, that was interesting. And, yeah, so this is the only Doctor Who radio play so broadcast on the radio from the 70s. Slipback is the only one from the 80s, and there was only a couple in the 90s too. So very, very underutilised medium was audio in terms of Doctor Who back then. Um, and when it was utilised, they didn't do too much with it. Uh, so no. l- let's talk about the next release um, that we want to discuss, and that is an LP release released in 1979 on Argo Records. It was the Pescatons. Here's a clip. Pescatons? Cunning, ravenous creatures, half human, half fish. Their origins are in the Carcharidae. Uh, say that again? Carcharidae. <laughs> Deep sea water species like the shark. Shark? Yes, and just as mean. The Pescatons are the most voracious, hostile creatures I've ever known. They'll attack and feed off anything they come into contact with. Well, what do they look like, these pescatons? Hmm? Well, I suppose you could say they have a head and body with the shape and texture of any of the shark species. Teeth? Mm, sharp as nails, fins like claws. Out of water, they tower over any of their human victims. But how do they move? Slowly, on two webbed feet. More like some prehistoric beast. Fish who can build a spacecraft and fly off to other planets? Yes. Oh, sounds a bit far-fetched to me, Doctor. Sarah? The Pescaton civilization has developed a technology which is far superior to anything here on Earth. These creatures possess amazing powers. Well, what are they doing here? Where do they come from? They come from Pesca, a planet that was once covered with vast oceans. Not anymore. Now it's nothing but a wilderness. You mean you've actually been to this planet? Well, of course I've been there. I think it was sometime back in the 15th century. The 15th century? Well, just how old are you? Pesca belongs to a dying solar system. As the sun draws it closer and closer towards its centre, every ocean on the planet will evaporate. Do you understand, Sarah? The pescatons are desperate to escape before their planet completely disintegrates. But, 
Well, that creature we heard on the beach and on the seabed, are you telling me it found its way here to Earth across millions of miles of space? Yes. An advance guard, Sarah. The first of the Pescaton migration. So, Dan, before we started, you and you're going to hold it up now for those who are watching us on YouTube, uh, the original yeah. vinyl release, uh, slightly different to the uh, Pescaton illustrated on the CD releases, <laughs> but I think yeah. for nostalgic reasons, I prefer this cover. It, there's, there's something pretty magical about a 12-inch LP cover, isn't there? Well, it does sort of fit in with the aesthetic of the target books at the time up to a point i think that they're yeah, trying to i don't know who who was the artist behind this it's not chris akaleos but i think it's somebody who was more than aware of the uh the signature look of a target book cover the mixture of the elements there obviously because it's a square format and you're quite right about that pescaton <laughs> he's got um he's got one arm that's shorter than the other and you know it's a typically sort of 70s piece of art but i love the the font you know it's a graphic designer of course i love the font all about fonts and design but yeah i mean i this this album's been in my life for a very long time and this is i've got a couple of different editions of this this is the original release though original pressing from yeah from 1976 on the argo label so is this something you used to listen to when you were younger no <laughs> it's it's something again that i heard about and i read about in doctor who monthly as it was then and that people would would um, tell me about other Doctor Who fans would tell me about, and so I tracked it down probably in the late in the late eighties. Yeah, that was when I first tracked it down at a secondhand record market, something like that. And uh, yeah, because again, when you're like a lot of Doctor Who fans, I was it was a solitary thing. Doctor Who and me was quite a solitary pursuit. My classmates watched it, but they watched it, and some of them liked it, some of them didn't. But the, the whole fandom thing was very much something that I did on my own. When I connected with other Doctor Who fans, they told me about things like the Pescatons, and they would all talk about it, like, oh, well, you know, just like they would the episode that was on three weeks ago. They knew it inside out. I'd never heard it. It took me a couple of years to track it down in a secondhand record store. Or something. They, at the time, there was lots of them sort of around. There must have been because people talked about it. Everybody had heard it, it seemed, apart from me. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I uh, this is the first copy I had. It's a bit crackly, a bit worn, but I played it over and over and over and over again because I think when I had this, there were very few videos out. And for me, hearing Tom Baker's Doctor again, who I had, hadn't heard since he'd regenerated, you know, properly since he'd regenerated, it was a snapshot of an era that to me, as a some 14, 15-year-old, seemed like a, life, a lifetime ago. You know, 10 years is a long time ago. When you're 10, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. When was the first time you heard this, Philip? I think I first heard it probably about 15 or so years ago. I think it must have come out on a CD. So whatever that first release of CD was would have been the first time I heard it. It's had a few releases on yeah, CD. Yeah, there it is there. Um, it was out my, on silver screen first, wasn't it? It was on silver screen, yeah. Yeah. So that would be the first time I heard it. I'd always been intrigued to hear it because it's by Victor Pemberton. And, of course, he did the Fury from the Deep episode. I think it's the only Doctor Who episode he did. But that, that always lives in my head in terms of, you know, this classic, classic. And it's interesting, you know, having listened to the audio of Fury from the Deep. And also, I've also listened to, since then, The Slide, which is... He likes his, he likes his mud and weed creatures, doesn't he? Yeah. So The Slide <laughs> was a radio play he did before he did um, Fury from the Deep. 
And of course, Fewer for the Deep is just a remake of the slide, just with Doctor Who inserted. But it's almost plot line, you know, it's almost beat for beat. Doesn't it star Roger Delgado, the slide? It does. That's right. So it's worth it for, for his... It's worth it, and, and it's, it is actually an ex- it's excellent radio play. I mean, it really is good. But the Pescatons is just another remake again, <laughs> with so many of the same elements. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah we, we make fun of Terry Nation in terms of you know, a lot of the cliches he will use over and over again. But at least he's Terry Nation's a bit more creative in how he uses cliches the same way over. Victor Penman and Beatty does the same plot line and the same you know sound destroys the monster, etc., etc. So there's those elements. Once again, Victor Pemberton hadn't written for the show for a long time, and the show had moved on. And I think when you listen to this story, you can feel the fact that the show in 76 had moved on, but Victor Pemberton hadn't. Um, once again, how he treats right for Sarah. I mean, it is it is basically just a two, it was really just Tom Baker narrating with a bit of insertion of, of Sarah Jane. But it's not... Sarah Jane as we know her again it's I think that he's really struggled to write Sarah Jane correctly and unfortunately no one for the show obviously went back and you know did a tidy up you know it would have been good had Robert Holmes I guess at that stage done a script tidy up he was probably too busy doing other things <laughs> rewriting every single writer he had at that stage um I think the thing that strikes me most is just in terms of the character of the Doctor as well so uh it is very rare for the Doctor to consider anyone evil, and yet the Pescatons are evil. And so I think, you know, I think usually it's only the, Do- the Daleks compared, can, you know, are the only thing in the Doctor universe totally evil, but the Pescatons too. And to be perfectly honest, the Pescatons just want to survive. Why can't, rather than being busy to kill them all off, can't the Doctor find them actually a home? So to me, the whole plot line of, you know, the Doctor just having no sympathy towards the entire species of creatures who are about to be wiped out was just undoctorish. Do you think the writer does that, though, to, because they've got such a short period of time to crank up stakes to being so global that it's a way of sort of getting us there quicker? You know, they're using words like, they're evil, <laughs> they're going to destroy, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. Yeah, but, see, but the Doctor's known for years that their planet was dying. Why did he just try and say, why did he just help them back then? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, trying to deal with them now that they're trying to escape the last dying moments of their planet feels a bit vicious when he's he's known for years that this race were about to be wiped out because their whole planet was slowly moving towards the sun. So, you know, why hasn't he stepped in? And then the, he would have had the problem. Yeah, it's, yeah, maybe it's a um, you know left wing agenda thing in terms of you know we should we should be dealing well. No, probably the opposite of that, isn't it? You know, if we actually deal with the problem before we get to it, we don't have got the problem. Whereas, you know, yeah, it's a to- total denial of dealing with the problem is why we're suffering now. And it's, it's actually, I mean, as I said, it's one of the things that, you know, the, the, the Chibnall era does is, you know, the doctor's incompetence and her incompetence leads to deaths of thousands of people. So, you know, her failure to, to destroy the Daleks, yeah. uh, clear the Daleks one mess leads to millions of people dying the following year because of her incompetence. And here we've got the, the fourth doctor who is never incompetent, very rarely do so, is he, is he incompetent. Um, failing to help a species of people that desperately need saving. So that was my issue. I mean, we, we reviewed one of the um, uh, Time Lord Victorious as the Tom Baker Tom, Time Lord Victorious. And in that, we comment on the fact that the Doctor leaves before the Dalek's been properly dealt with and the Dalek ends up resurrecting, which was all done for plot re- reasons because it le- had to lead into an escape room where the people had escaped. So that, you know, but we were uncomfortable by the fact that we the Doctor had left before 
the Dalek being dealt with properly. And here you've got the Doctor being undoctorish again by allowing entire planets and species to be wiped out. And you, know, you and think you though that that all these things that you're talking about, if it was a tradi- if it was a traditional audio drama that had been commissioned by by uh, such as Big Finish or a radio station, they would have passed it probably to a script editor. It would have gone through three, a few rewrites. Yeah. Whereas it's quite likely they directly approached Pemberton to write this. No other set of eyes ever went over it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's exactly like a children's script. It's it's a first draft. <laughs> Oh, he, he no, he admits that. I'm, I'm not having a go. No, to I agree with you completely. Won't get the arrogance from me, mate. No, in, in in the Doctor Who magazine, he admits the fact that he hasn't got to, had time to redraft wow. a lot of his scripts. So, and I think that maybe it feels like that. It, it's it's and, a first and also draft. keep in mind this is not BBC either. No. So no, it's, it's it's people have gone to Victor Pemberton, who's a Doctor Who writer, thinking he'll be able to produce the goods, and the fact is he can't. It's like John Lauriati coming back to write the Ark in Space. He, he'd been gone for too long. The show had changed too much and it just didn't work. And of course, Robert Holmes had to re- totally rewrite it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. In fact, we're going to get the original Ark in Space by Big Finish soon to actually hear what, what was actually originally written. But, you know, Robert Holmes had to rewrite it. I think you're right. I think if someone had had a chance to go over this as a script editor, it, pr- it may have fixed it up. But as it is, it, it just, yeah, there's a few glaring holes in it. But Dwayne, what did you think? Maybe you loved it. Uh, there were aspects that I did love. Uh, but just to go, just to carry on from the negatives, uh, the the doctor was treating Sarah terribly mm. uh, in certain parts of this. I think in one line he says, "Oh, Sarah, stop wittering," and um, he was he had such stand out, doesn't he it, had though? such venom in his voice. It was it was like it was something the third doctor would say, but even the third doctor wasn't that nasty. Uh, so they were just. But you got to remember, this is nineteen seventy six, so Tom was still fresh in the role, so he was still probably finding his feet. And at that stage, he'd probably only done one season. That would probably be between seasons there, between seasons, what, uh, 12 and 13 no, in the I'm middle? Pretty, no, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Elizabeth Slane had left by the time this was had recorded. She? Because in that interview, she, she talks about the Mask of Andragora. So right. she's, 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 finished, she's finished up and come back to do this after she's left the show. So Tom Baker's three seasons in, and he was pretty well established by then. Okay, yeah. So they were just doing it for some pocket money, whatever was whatever was given to them. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if Tom was. You probably know better than than I do, Dan. But Tom wasn't really caring so much, perhaps until later on to into the Graham Williams era. I don't know when he was getting really fussy about scripts and things like that. Maybe during the Hinchcliffe time, I he was don't uh, think not he so got fussy. So proprietorial until later in the day, until he'd been until he'd been there longer than pretty much everybody else. I, right. I wouldn't say he didn't care up to that point, but I think he was aware that he was that he was an actor and that he was the public face of the show. I think he'd got everything in check, and and here, I mean, here he's he's the Doctor. He's so recognisable in most respects. I think the only times where it isn't, just as you say, it's in the judgment of the writer. He would never treat Sarah like that. There are, there are some beautiful moments in this where Sarah asks the doctor, exactly how old are you? And he behaves as if she's never even asked the question. He just moves on directly to talk about something else, which is a beautifully doctor moment. Any any incarnation of the doctor should ideally treat that question as sort of, what, what? don't bother me with this kind of trivia. He doesn't, he doesn't brush her off in a kind of dismissive way, but he's, his mind is elsewhere. And that's how it should be. That's So I think there are strings to this that, that do translate that relationship beautifully. And it's full of atmosphere. 
and uh, it's very it's very florid i think in the way that it describes things because it is it's, it, just as you said philip it's like being told a story isn't it, it it's only audio drama loosely Dwayne. <laughs> yeah well i'm going to bring that up in a second uh with philip because this is almost like a prototype of the companion chronicles but before we get onto that, I just want to mention that I really loved the BBC Radiophonic Workshop sounds throughout this, the sound effects. Uh, there were some distinct ones I could pick out. I could pick out the sound of the Cybermats from Tomb of the Cybermen. I could pick out the sound of the the sort of the swirling Time Lord uh, planet uh, from the War Games. There was that sound effect in there too. And a lot of the... Sorry, Dan. That's an impressive ear you've got to pick those things out, because I didn't. <laughs> and the the music that was being used, too, it was almost straight from Series 8, from the second Pertwee season, uh, the way the music was uh, being played throughout. So, yeah, very interesting collection but, of sounds in this. When you hear the music, though, and this is the thing that really struck me about this, this time, because I don't think I've listened to this in around in around 10 years, maybe longer. So I've got, I've got a slightly different take on it and I've I've heard other things since and I had to go and check dates to see which came first but for me this feels like you know sort of mid-70s like a typical mid-70s concept album because a lot of those sounds and those music cues they feel like they're and, and Tom Baker's narration too feels like they're leading in to a, a big musical number like Paul Nicholas or Susie Quattro or somebody like that is about to pipe up and give us three or four minutes worth of, of rock opera. And so it reminds me of, uh, of Jeff Wayne's musical version of The War of the Worlds. Yep. So much so that after I listened to it this time, I better check up on this. Did that come first or which came first? So I'm now wondering, because this came out in 76, War of the Worlds was 78. Was, is Jeff Wayne a big Doctor Who fan? And was, did he hear the pescatons and think, you know, what this could really do with <laughs> is David Essex. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of talking books uh, for kids at that stage because we had no video. So any, I remember there was a couple of uh, audios that I had. I had one that I used to love that was the story of David and Goliath. That was a little, almost like a little golden book, but it was a single. It was 33, 33 and a third. What those? Um, but that was that was one. I had one for Pinocchio, the story of Pinocchio, which was a condensed version of the movie, which fit onto a single LP. Um, I even had a I had a Faulty Towers. Uh, I had a Faulty Towers too, which I used to thrash to death. I remember Hitchhikers was the same. Get get that on vinyl. Um, so these so these vinyl releases were a, a big part of my childhood. And uh, I'm I'm a bit confused as to why they didn't exploit Doctor Who in that area a lot more, uh, particularly with uh, the next one that we're going to talk about too. But before we get onto that, Philip, I want to just bring up with you the fact that I think the Pescatons is definitely like a prototype for the Companion Chronicles. What do you say to that? I know you're a big fan of the, the Companion Chronicles. Well, it's written in first person with a second voice that comes in intermittently which I guess you could say happens in several Companion Chronicles, but certainly not all because they're a lot more inventive than that. Um, I'm not sure that Big... Well, maybe they did. I'm not sure that anyone from Big Finish necessarily listened to this and went, oh, we can make a whole eight seasons of stories. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's good enough to count as a, <laughs> a precursor to the Companion Chronicles. Um, I mean, 
I do I do like the first person. I think Tommy's doing his best, and I think he's doing what the script requires. Um, and of course, work, working in first person allows him to describe what's happening because one of the biggest issues, of course, with audio stories is how you convey information in a short in a shorthand way. Um, and narrative allows you to do that. I actually think, yeah, I think it's actually probably more audio book than Companion Chronicles because I think the narration is a bit too strong and there's not enough interplay with other characters to, to justify it. Because even though Companion Chronicles often only has two people, there's a lot more conversation that happens between them. And even the person who's playing the lead narrator usually adds extra voices and talks back to themselves a bit more like a talking book does. An audio I, book. I, I hear what you're saying. So Pescatons is a, a lot more narration of the action and less dialogue whereas the companion chronicles are skewed the, the other way more dialogue less action yes but but also more a bit more um audio bookish so yes yes i, I think i think dialogue's the key thing i think i think the chunks of narr- narrative in this are just a bit too long that, that it, once again but i mean it, it is it, keep remembering it's a different era i think people are a bit lo- more used to narrative I think and, you're being too unfair to, yeah, maybe to right. the Pescatons because it's so old. It's long, long before the Companion Chronicles. But uh, Yeah, well, that's why I wouldn't, I wouldn't even compare them. Some do. Oh, I just did. Um, <laughs> the other guest cast on there was Bill Mitchell. Um, he had actually made an appearance in Doctor Who, but it was cut. Did you know that? He well, appeared as a newsreader in Frontier in Space. He filmed a bit and then it was cut out. So I'd be curious to know if that actually exists. You ever heard of any? You ever heard that story, Dan? It's just completely new to me, or I'd heard it and forgotten it, which I, I do get now sometimes. That's like <laughs> in my mid forties, bit of information overload. Yeah, there's only so much room in the old uh, hard drive. <laughs> so I thought that was an interesting bit of trivia as well. But overall, I I, I actually didn't mind. The Pescatons. I, I I quite enjoyed it for what it is. For for a moment, a snapshot in time. Uh, I I enjoyed it. It was my number two out of the four of them. Oh, okay, okay, very interesting. Now I wonder which is your number one. Could it be the next one that we're going to talk about? Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is, of course, the release, originally on vinyl, then cassette, then CD of Genesis of the Daleks, the sixty-minute episode and in my view this is the definitive genesis of the daleks so here's a clip i stepped from the tardis onto a bleak planet all around the ground was ravaged no vegetation banks of chilling fog swirling through the air why had i been brought here Ah, welcome, Doctor. What's going on? Don't you realize how dangerous it is to intercept a transmat beam? I shall take command headquarters with General Raven. Cut the ammunition and clean your weapons. Leaving Sarah for dead in the trench, our captors, known as Carleds, transported Harry and me to their headquarters. Mud-stained and bruised, we were dragged before their security commander, a human-like being with thin, cruel features called Nida. This is yours? Yes. What is its function? Do you have any inkling of the theory of space dimension correlated to relative time? 
members of the elite scientific court to assemble in the main laboratory immediately. Our session will have to wait. Davros is coming. Your chief scientist. He is our supreme commander. When he calls a full meeting like this, he obviously has something of the greatest importance to tell us. Well, I shall be delighted to meet him. Stand up and keep quiet. As silence fell over the room, a door slid open and Davros emerged. A huddled ancient figure seated in a self-powered wheelchair, not unlike the base of a Dalek. From it protruded masses of tubes and wires, all attached to Davros's body. A complete life support system. If I may have your attention. You're not going in there. They're harmless enough, I think. Just unpleasant. You, uh, you don't want me to come in, do you, Doctor? There's no need, Harry. It just remains to put the charges where they do the most damage. Shouldn't take them more than a couple of minutes. In the chamber, the incubating Daleks squelched and squealed in their jars. A shapeless, viscous liquid oozed across the floor towards me, its dimensions changing constantly. What's taking him so long? It's a very delicate operation, Sarah. Still, he should have finished by now. Doctor? Doctor, are you all right? I've always wondered why the TV version of Genesis of the Daleks never quite gels with me. And it's because this was my first experience of the story. This was my first experience. So very cut down, 60 minutes and full of Tom Baker's uh, soothing tones narrating all the way through. And I think... That is what makes this story for me. It's it's the narration all the way through. Uh, I forgot how much narration was in there and how vital it is to this cut-down version, but it is vital. And uh, I I adore this. I adore this version. I, I don't know if I've got a CD version. I had to I had to rip the cassette to digital so I could put it in my headphones. And I'm not sure whether it's actually sped up a bit to fit because it, it goes exactly... I think it's about 15 seconds under 60 minutes. And there are certain sections like the opening titles on the first side seem to be sped up. And I'm wondering whether it was slightly sped up to fit on a 60 minute cassette. Don't know. Don't know if you guys experienced the same. What Did you experience any of the speed up effects at all? Or is that just my cassette running a bit fast, Dan? I think it's quite likely that it was that it was sped up. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I own... I own the tape as well, the tape that came out in the late 80s. It was a double tape, wasn't it? A big picture of Davros on the front of that there. So, yeah, I, I do own that. And I own the vinyl too. I've had this this vinyl for a very long time as that well. Is, now, that uh, is a beautiful cover. Gorgeous, isn't it? Th- I this have, is I have one, of the, yeah, one of the icons of the, of the series history, I think. And I think I've got this one twice too, but <laughs> I've got it on multiple formats. You know, the CD that you're talking about, there's that too, where it's on with, um, yes, with Exploration Earths on, on this this release, this particular release. So it's been out so many times. But what, what you were just saying though, Dwayne, about this version, I wouldn't go 
quite as far as you do. But like you, my first experience with Genesis of the Daleks and the one that's lasted was also in a truncated form. They repeated it back in 1982 on the BBC, the, the TV story, in an edited form as, uh, as two 45-minute episodes as part of a, se- a season called Doctor Who and the Monsters. And uh, although I, I think I, no, I didn't record that at the time. That was my only experience of this story, but it, it really stayed with me. And, uh, and it was years, it was well over 10 years later until I saw the, the full TV one. But in the meantime, there was that same double tape, which obviously I listened to over and over and over again. And as terrible as it, as it sounds, once it was out on VHS, I don't think I went back <laughs> to the audio version ever again. Uh, I love Genesis of the Daleks and I conversation for another time, I know. And it's sort of, it, it kind of conf- consigned this version to history, really. I think it's like the omnibus repeats of the, of the, the 70s and, and something that people don't talk about so much now. But I, I agree, I think listening to it again, this is the first time I've listened to this Again, probably an even longer, 15, maybe even 20 years. I loved it. Hearing Tom's hearing Tom's voice in character take us through that story so beautifully. Yeah, I, it was a, a rediscovered gem for me, this. I'm, I'm so pleased you asked me to, to talk about all of these, but this one in particular. It's just so silky smooth, that voice. I... I actually have a uh, his version of Jekyll and Hyde. I don't know if you've heard that, but I often put on his audiobook reading of Jekyll and Hyde and fall asleep to it. That's how, how soothing I find his voice. It just sends me right off. Um, and the narration in this has the, has the same effect. In this story, it is one of the best all-time classic Doctor Who stories ever. So, I mean, you're, you're taking... Oh, so you of, say. So I say, and I'm happy to say... I don't, and sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, Philip. I'm with you. Uh, actually, yeah, tough. Definitely. If, sorry. It's a, this is a 10 out of 10. Um, and yeah, and if you don't understand that, then you just don't understand the show and you don't get, get any of the images or anything. So regardless, this is one of the very best of all Doctor Who. So in terms of, if you're looking for highlights, this is one of the shows. It's brilliantly written. It was brilliantly set designed. Everything about the show, the acting, all the guest cast. Um, it does have an issue in terms of a lack of females. Um, you know, aside from Sarah, there's, um, the, the one other female speaking role. And I don't think you've seen the other females at all, not even as extras in this. Um, but that's typical of Robert Holmes, who just didn't put women in anything. So that's the Philip Hinchcliffe and Robert Holmes era. Um, but then that was television at the time as well. So it has got an issue there. But in terms of plotting and pacing and cliffhangers, it is spectacular. It is amazing, therefore, that in this record, you could actually have another amazing hit. The dialogue, it's got, it's got stunning dialogue. It has been so well edited that a lot of the plots that, you know, the, the bits of padding, like, you know, going to the cave and, you know, being eaten by the clams, clams. Uh, which, which, you know, is, it's entertaining and, and lighthearted and you need in the show because you need that lightness to break out what is a very dark script otherwise, but you don't actually need it. So cutting all that out just speeds the whole plot up. Um, and even some of the cliffhangers basically get totally, you know, destroyed because you haven't got the need to build the tension. I mean, that whole rocket climbing scene um, is, is so full of tension and mounting tension, and then it gets a bit frustrating because Sarah just jumped the rotten hole, <laughs> um, which she doesn't do. So they've cut out all the stuff that actually is, is the weakest things, but then they have written top-notch narration, as you say. It is poetic. It is 
almost in blank verse. So that as the, the opening lines, as Tom Baker describes the planet and describes the destitution, and then it moves into the scene with the Time Lord. It is just seamless. You, you wouldn't know that this wasn't all originally written like this. It wasn't written as a narration into scripture. And, and you just don't need the visuals. Because as you say, there's, there's, I think there's only, there was one section I thought a bit of narration could have been helpful. But generally speaking, it's the right amount at the right time. And then they just let the characters, and as, because you've got such amazing actors and such amazing voices in that period, because yeah, this is the period where you know voice was so important for acting, and so you, you can always tell which character's talking and how it's moving. So yeah, so it it just swept me away the whole story, and so I was just so thrilled to hear it. And I got the record when it first came out, and so I listened to this over and over and over again. I at one stage could have done every line by memory and even as we started to go through it i was i was saying the lines before the characters yeah. and even, even the in, you know in, the way that they speak the the tones so yeah so it's from away so in terms of almost a perfect audio release this has to be up there amongst them absolutely my experience was in reborrowing it over and over again from the local library had it there so i don't think anyone else in my district ever got the chance to hear it because i always had it and um you 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 brought up the cliffhangers before philip and i that's that's one thing that i i could never sort of get wrap my head around when it came to watching it on tv was the cliffhanger to episode three because i think the way they edit it together for this version where they completely bypass the episode three cliffhanger and go a couple of minutes later and end it on um, the doctor saying, I sent Sarah and Harry in there, explosions, then cut to title music. I think that is a much, better, much better than what we actually got on screen with the doctor getting zapped with the electrical fence. Um, the, the one thing I always wondered about uh, with this when I listened to it, but I always dismissed it. But I always thought, that's funny. What's what's he talking about? Was that the opening narration, the first words the the Doctor says is, I step from the TARDIS onto a bleak planet. Where, of course, if you're following the TV series, he hasn't got the TARDIS at all. because. And then he makes that comment, well, why did you intercept the transmat beam? So I always thought, what is, what's he talking about, transmat beam? The TARDIS must have got caught in a in a transmat beam. That's what I always imagined in my head. And um, uh, as far as one of the best stories ever, I think potentially Dan held up the cover for the LP before, such a colourful colour. And this release has the ability to fire up my imagination so much that the greyness and the bleakness of the actual TV episode sort of diminished my initial imagination of what it would look like. So I think that has a part to play in my not rating this a 10 out of 10 or number one, as most fans do. Yeah. It does seem like this had a a huge formative effect on, on both of your ke- fandoms collection with the show itself, let alone this story. Uh, I, like I say, I hadn't heard it in, in so long, and I agree with everything that you've, you've both said, how efficient the, it was retailed for this format. And it's all presented so sensitively and, and Tom doesn't phone it in and he could have quite easily have done that. Yeah, it's it's wonderful and very easy to listen to. You know, I 
this was the one I listened to last of the, of the the titles that you came to me with. But well, I'll listen to that one if I've got time. You know, and I I found time. You know, I pressed play. Next thing I knew, it was three quarters of the way through. Just wonderful. And it ends on a cliffhanger too. So the the original ending of the serial ends up with them floating around in space, holding onto the time ring. This, the way this ends has such an impact. Like Genesis the Daleks is known for not really having many Daleks in it, but this version, there's Daleks from from start to finish, basically. Uh, on you know, you've got Davros as well, but the Daleks are always there as that constant presence. Presence, whereas the TV serial uh, sometimes gets not criticised, but it's it's pointed out that the Daleks aren't there too much. But the way it ends with the Daleks saying, uh, this is only the beginning, uh, we'll take our rightful place as the supreme power in all the universe, bang. What an impactful ending to this release. Fantastic. It's. I think uh, I think it's our number one, guys. Well, we've got one more to talk about, yes. <laughs> oh, well, you know, no you never know. You never know what might happen. Uh, before we talk about our final release, I wanted to mention something that um, I don't know if you're aware of of this, guys. Dan, I'm, you probably will be. But this is not the first television episode to be released on vinyl. Did you know that? Did you on boys vinyl? know that? On vinyl. There is one other. Oh, yes, of course, I've got it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, but, oh, have you? I'd love a copy of that. I think this I've, got is, yeah, I've got that. The, the original uh, vinyl release was in 1966. It was episode six of The Chase with narration by David Graham, and I had to listen to that before we came on tonight. Uh, yeah, that's really enjoyable too. It Extra is. music, lots of good narration from David Graham. But I just thought I'd mention that because uh, that, that was – that was news to me. I didn't realise for a long time that that was... I've got that, Dwayne, and I have no idea how I come by it. I think it was given to me by a friend of the family who's who'd got some Doctor Who bits and bobs, and they didn't really know what it was. And they said, oh, Sandra's son likes Doctor Who. He can have this. And I had it for years. I'd play it now and again because it's, it was very crackly. And, and so I was never really sure what it was because on the on the front, all it says in, in big, the logo is sort of red, white, and blue. And it's a still from, I think the still is from The Chase. Can't quite remember. Probably isn't actually. But it's just called The Daleks, <laughs> in red, isn't white, it? and blue, it just says The Daleks. The Daleks. Yeah, so I had no idea what this thing even was. And, uh, and because the voices, I didn't recognise them and they were quite muffled anyway. Yeah, so it's something that I played now and again if I needed a fix of Doctor Who that I was less familiar with. I'd totally forgotten about that. It's upstairs somewhere. And and he's referred constantly as Doctor Who as well. So um, I think it may be the only time apart from the movies and the War Machines that he's referred to as Doctor Who. The tale I have to unfold is like a dream, a fantastic nightmare. As you sit in your comfortable, familiar surroundings listening to my story, you may feel it could never have happened. But to Doctor Who and his friends, it was very real. For two years, they had been ranging through time and space in their craft, the TARDIS. Relentlessly, they were being chased by the Daleks, a humanoid race from the planet Skaro. Evil creatures intent on pursuit and destruction. In their own spacecraft, they had chased Doctor Who, Ian Chesterton, and the girls Vicky and Barbara onto yet another new and strange planet. 
All around them was a seemingly endless jungle where strange carnivorous plants reached out greedily at them. In desperation, they fled into a cave, hoping to find some kind of refuge. But the dark interior soon crushed their optimism. Solid black rock faced them in every direction. In their panic, they had rushed into a trap. Then, to their astonishment, the far wall of the cave slid open, revealing a room where a robot stood and addressed them. Doctor Who and his party could do nothing but obey. The Daleks were too close behind for argument. Although the robot would say no more, it was enough that they had been saved for the moment. We're going up. Yeah, it's a lift. You got us out of a nasty situation there. I suppose you'd like to know who we are and why we are here, hmm? But yeah, no, I do have it because that was, and I just picked it up at a second-hand record shop, and I had no idea what it was because it was, it, it is just because like, it was released a special release in Australia as well. Oh, really? Mm. Okay, because yep. it, it just because it it's and the font's wrong. It just says the Daleks with a font that's not doesn't quite make sense. It's a picture, and I'm trying to think what the picture is. Um, but once again, nothing made sense. So I sort of saw it, and it was a couple of bucks, and I just sort of bought it. And then when I brought it home, and I'm listening to it, thinking. What is this? Because it may even have been before I saw the chase for the first time, trying to work out what this thing was. Yeah, there's, yeah, this is very exciting. It's, I've got a feeling it's not actually a full size LP. I've got the feeling it's an. It's a it's a EP. single. Oh, there you go. <laughs> a single single sh- at thirty three speed. There, there you go. I, I knew it wasn't full size. Oh, God, certainly is. Yeah. yeah. There you go. God, I've forgotten all about that. I'm gonna. Gonna have to go and dig it out now. I've got I've got some seven inches of various Doctor Who things in various states. You know how they get, and uh, yeah, that that thing. I, I had that years before I saw the chase. I, I... Actually, before we move on to slip back, I'm I'm sure we're all chomping at the bit to get back at uh, get onto that. Um, just on the Pescatons, there was a extra uh, interview with Liz Sladen. Did you guys get a chance to hear of that? And did you have anything to say about that particular interview, Philip? <laughs> well, yes, I, it was good to actually listen to. I mean, once again, it was interesting that they actually interviewed Elizabeth Sladen. And that's the reason why I know it was said after she'd left was because she talks about the fact that she'd finished up. Um, I did think the interview would, what didn't really know his stuff. <laughs> that's the thing that struck me. And, and he made an offhand comment um, about Liz not preparing particularly hard for her role, because she she was she was talking about being very comfortable, um, and then he sort of made an offhand comment about her not being properly prepared. Oh, because it was a radio script. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's right. Um, and she had a she had a go at him about yeah. You know, well, no, of course I did my preparation, <laughs> but it's just a different form. So, but yeah, it was it was it was an interesting interview. It didn't actually seem to go anywhere, but it was it's just I mean yeah, I've got such a major crush on Elizabeth Sladen that yeah, you know, anytime I can hear her talk about anything, I'm always up for it. And it was only recent, so it would have only been in the last 20 years because Mark Ayres was one of the interviewers. So he would have been uh, remastering it for the CD release, I would say. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, it was hmm. obviously she didn't remember much about it. She was she was trying to work out where she was and what she was doing and why she did it. And yeah, it was, it was, it was so far away from her history that it was just sort of, why are you talking to me about this? Which is one of the things that... Um, Liz was quite, you know, amusing about when, you know, a couple of times I saw her live was that, you know, if an interview question was sort of going in terms of she wasn't interested in it, it was sort of, you're just wasting my time now. Can we move on to something else? Hmm. So what she's passionate about, she's passionate about, but things she doesn't, other areas, I think, oh, 
get over yourselves, guys, and let's move on. And she she had a lot of that in her interview, I felt. <laughs> she's never dismissive, is she? She's always so endearing when she when she approaches that kind of stuff. She's talking about things that are decades ago. That, as you say, like the Pescaton, she suspects that was recorded, or certainly her contributions were recorded in a morning, that one single morning decades ago. And yeah, she doesn't never brushes people off. She's always, <laughs> always so warm with it all. It's a delight to hear on this. I think this is one of the best interviews with Elizabeth Slayton I've ever listened to. I thought it was. It, I thought it was really lovely. lovely. It's definitely worth a listen to anyone who hasn't heard it. A really, really good interview. And it was a shame that even though she was working for Big Finish, they weren't doing so many interviews for release uh, when she was doing Big Finish. I mean, she was due to be doing uh, recording with uh, with Tom when obviously they were doing more extras recordings but uh, unfortunately that never happened but so so yeah this is this is a great one to have so I, I would say this would have been around 2000 if the CD came out 2001 so probably around that time so uh, it was yeah really really nice to uh, to listen to yeah, yeah. I say if you a really excellent um, interview of Elizabeth Slater is um the actor speaks series they, they only did a couple of them and she she did one of those called the actor speaks and she does some poetry readings as well as some interviews is That's that magic a, bullet who does them the the same yeah. the same company that does caldor city because paul darrow had an actor speaks released yes, through them right, too Darrow, he did one too so maybe these but yeah that, right. that's a, that's a really that's a lovely time to spend with her which yeah I, I, actually, i've got a signed copy of that nice from when i met her very good all right, fellas, it's the moment we've all been waiting for, but because it's attached to Genesis of the Daleks in one of the releases, we have to talk about it. It is the incredible slip back. Here's a clip. Now, lad, you have the right to remain silent, but I wouldn't encourage you to do so. Anything you say will be taken down, altered to my satisfaction, and used in a court of law to send you down for a good many years. So start confessing. You're looking very smart, sir. All dressed up and nowhere to go. Computer. Right here, sir. Where is the Earth Woman? I have bathed, shaved, and been massaged. I am wearing my best uniform and waiting to uh, interrogate the intruder. I'm sorry to report, Captain, that both she and Mr. Grant have disappeared. Disappeared? Together? In each other's company? So it seems, sir. That upstart, poaching my perks. Find him. Find them both. I'll do my best, sir. Bye for now. Did you hear that? I did, sir. Absolutely outrageous. And Mr. Grant, only a junior officer. My rage is growing, steward. I am feeling very unwell. I do believe. I'm incubating more in Medicabolis. Oh, no, sir. Oh, not that, sir. Oh, that, uh, now, that isn't fair, sir. If that got out, the whole crew would die. Precisely. I will not tolerate insubordination on my ship. I'm still waiting. Time Lord. Well, you say that you have an answer to the galaxy's problems, yet you seem reluctant to tell me what it is. I have my reasons. It's a matter of interest. Who are you? The ship's computer. Then who was that chatty little number I spoke to earlier? My rather pathetic public voice. I am the inner spirit of the computer. Oh. 
Well, I'd be fascinated to learn how you develop such independence. So would I, especially as I thought you were some sort of alien influence working in my logic circuits. Okay, there was a bit of slip back for you. Uh, do we have... Actually, there's there's quite a lot I love about Slipback, uh, but there's quite a, there's quite a lot uh, that we could we can uh, make fun of with Slipback as well. So, do I have a volunteer for who would like to go first? <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Uh, well, <laughs> I volunteered. The loudest laugh gets it. Oh God, Slipback. Yeah, another another one. Uh, this was broadcast at the height of my uh, young fandom. I was uh, completely captivated by Colin Baker's Doctor. I thought it was wonderful. I immediately got what he was trying to do. And I was heartbroken about the hiatus earlier that year. So we're talking about 1985. This came on the radio and it potentially had, uh, it, it acted as a, a, a marker to make that 18 month gap not seem quite so daunting, but Immediately, I found out that um, just trying to listen to this was not going to be as simple as I imagined, and that perhaps Slipback itself was not going to be all that it could be. I, <laughs> the, the way this was broadcast as part of a, a show called Pirate Radio 4 on Radio 4, sort of Kids Strand, it was very much like Kids Saturday Morning TV, but done on the radio and done in, in segments. You had to be very patient because you had no idea, really. It was The listing was there in the Radio Times telling you kind of what time they intended it to be on, but you never really knew. So you had to listen to the whole show to hear just 10 minutes or 10-minute chunks of, of Doctor Who. You had to really want to hear this thing to, to stay the course. And I, I even when I went on holiday during the middle of it, of it being broadcast, I took, I took my sort of handheld radio with a built-in cassette recorder in to make sure I could record it. Oh, so yeah, I, I really did do uh, I did do my work to to hold the course with this just for you, Colin. Of course, I did, and um, yeah, it. I think more than I, I'm so fond of this, and it's partly attached to the the haziness of all those kind of memories. I yeah, I maintain Colin Baker. You know, I know what he was doing then wasn't for everybody, and I know the things that it isn't. But for me, there is so much of of what it was and is is there he knows precisely who his doctor is and he walks the walks those lines with um unwa in an unwavering confidence that always won me over i've always thought that every, all of his choices were were bang on i think nicola bright's fantastic in this as well and their dynamic is um I think it sort of points the way to where it would go to some extent in, in season 23, but particularly in the, in the audio stuff far, far later. So that, that's the joys of it. And obviously being a fan at the time, this feels because of the music being so similar to a TV story. And because Eric Saywood wrote it, it feels so authentic to the time that I could almost fool myself that I did watch this and that, it's the episode got lost in the way some of the 60s stuff did. So but all of all of my positive memories connected with this are very much uh, subjective. I know the story could be a lot, lot better. I know that plenty of it doesn't work. And so I can't wait to, uh, to hear what you guys have got to, got to say about it and how you first heard it. Well, can I first say the word hiatus 
Does anyone in the English language use it except for Doctor Who fans? Probably not. <laughs> because it just becomes this, the hiatus. It's just a period of history. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, know, you talk about... Like the, Watergate. <laughs> yeah. You know, you talk, uh, you know, the, the Elizabethan era or the medieval period absolutely. and the hiatus era. era. So, so this is through the hiatus, which all Doctor Who fans go, oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um in, term, in terms of, I mean, everything you say about Colin and Nicola are spot on. The, the, their performances are perfect. I think the fact that this is written by Eric Sober does actually give it that whole feel. And the music is so of the period. And when the music started up, I smiled because it is just so 80s. Um, so electronic that I think it works really well. But the fact that it's written by Eric Sowert is also <laughs> the downfall, I think. Oh, the problem. <laughs> uh, because you just start to realise that he just has to put in certain tropes that he is amused by, but that just don't serve the Doctor well, serve Colin well. Um, and so there's you know, all these things that happen that, that you just sort of go, ah. The, he, he tries to do Douglas Adams. And so you can feel him trying to do Douglas Adams throughout and trying to use the humour, which I don't think works. It's I'm the, the computer voice, I actually checked to see whether it was Sandra Dick, Dixon or not doing the voice. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> because it, it is a Sandra Dixon takeoff, which is Peter Dav- it was Peter Davidson's wife at the time, who um, he didn't like. Eric didn't like didn't like her very much, and I do actually wonder. I'm not what, surprised because it's so on the nose. I did wonder about that myself. Yeah, so I was, I was trying to work out whether this was actually Eric having a go at Sandra Dixon. Um, I don't know, but I mean, I, maybe he, I don't know whether he had anything to do with the casting or not. But certainly, the, the it was just bizarre that voice. And as I said, it's, it's once again Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's it's the the computers trying to have personality and. And just to think, ah, oh, but he just can't. He... The trouble with a writer who is Eric can write well, and he he does some good stories. Visitation is a good solid story. Earthshock is a is a good solid story, but he's not a writer like Douglas Adams. And when he tries to do that, it doesn't work. And there's lots of he's trying to do Robert Holmes too. So the double act with the, the the two security guys. Why do you think that he tried to play on those strings, Philip? Do you think it was because he thought, oh, radio, sci-fi equals Douglas Adams? Because I noticed that too, and I I think it's so strange because he, Eric, I love his he's an adventure thriller writer. Not a, he's not a comedian. He's not that kind of writer. No, I, I do wonder whether I mean the show is just being cancelled. Sorry, got into hiatus because of its violence, because mm-hmm. it's, you know questions are being raised in Parliament. So whether he's trying to move away from that, um, I mean John Nathan Turner when he took over, his his big brief point to everyone was we take out the humour, and so you know season um, eighteen in particular is is supposed to be all science and no humour, which of course there's still lots of humour in it. And it, it actually works out being a really good season. But I do wonder, whether, in part, whether this is Eric, you know, thumbing his nose a bit at J&T and saying, you know, well, let me show you how funny I can write, which he can't. <laughs> um, so there's different elements like that. I'm just wondering whether... Yeah, I, as I said, I think he's trying to borrow from writers he respects and admires, and he's trying to copy them, but it just doesn't quite work. And I think I think when writers can't use their style... It's, it's to the detriment of, of the story. Um, the whole idea of the captain isn't well thought through. And, and, and that, that is often one of the things 
Um, I think Eric sometimes got wrong in terms of having some good ideas but not knowing how to draw them out properly to its full conclusion, um, which you know some other writers have issues with as well now and then. Um, and so, yeah, so the whole idea of the captain and diseased and infected, I mean, just it's just a bit gross and just unnecessary killings and gruesome killings. So I think Eric gets a bit carried away and does some pretty monstrous things with some of the characters, which is just unnecessarily cruel. But I do think that is a, a trope of Eric. He, he does like to put unnecessary cruelty onto some characters. You have to wonder who he thought this was for, because I, context is everything, isn't it? And you think, well, this was broadcast on children's radio. And so you think, okay, was some of the comedy for that? Was some of the silly voices even for that? But then you remember that, yeah, that some of it's quite grisly, yeah, quite black. Yeah, it, it is. So it, it's, I, I, once again, it's it's a misunderstanding that it's something that will appeal to children should be childish. And I think that's a mistake he makes in terms of he, he makes things childish rather than for children because children want to be children don't want to be talked down to children want to be talked up to. And, and I think sometimes he, he fails with, with that as well. Anyhow, that's a, that's a few. I could probably say some more. But, Dwayne, what did you think? I'm sure you loved it. Well, it just, I do have fond memories of this, uh, fond nostalgic feels. Uh, the character of uh, Slan just came to mind that the, the time period, the only the year before this, June was out, wasn't it? So uh, June had uh, Baron Harkonnen, who was the guy full of disease uh, that would uh, try and get everyone else disease. So he's probably pinching from that. So I got I got uh, a vibe of the pirate captain and Mr. Fibuli with his offsider in that as well. So yeah, I can see uh, different elements that Eric Saywood is trying to uh, to bring in here. Did you notice the, the bit of this serial that did slip through to the next season, season 23? Every single cliffhanger, you've got the doctor going, no, Perry, and no, we're going to die. Every single cliffhanger, and that got through to Trial of a Time Lord. Of everything that was in this, that got through. Um, so it was like it was like Colin Baker practicing for that. Is it, in tri- I, I so, hadn't. But no, in, no. So in Trial, every cliffhanger ends on Colin's face, doesn't it? Pretty right? much, yeah, pretty much. Not, not, not every done. cliffhanger, but I would say... Probably eighty percent of them. Yeah, I, I can't think of a single cliffhanger that isn't Colin and he's a close-up, a, a zoom shot to his face. Yeah, but that's what they were doing in this, so it was almost yeah, like a yeah, rehearsal. You are right. Yeah, yep. <laughs> no doctor has ever worked harder before or since than Colin Baker. <laughs> T- testimony to to the man's work ethic. Yeah, that's for sure. Valentine Dial is a voice I really love. I'd loved him before I even saw him in Doctor Who playing the Black Guardian. I loved him in things like The Goon Show and other radio that I'd listened to in the past. So he'd been a voice in my ears. So did you know Valentine Dial died 14 days after this? So this was his very last thing, the poor fellow. I knew it was near the mark. I don't think it was the last thing he ever did, but probably... Oh, well, what else would he have done? For, well, he might have. Who knows? But I'm, I'm just assuming that this was the last thing he did because two weeks later, after the recording, he died. So he wouldn't have even got to hear the last uh, this. Not that he would have listened to it anyway, probably. But, um, yeah, so it was it was nice to hear him. Um, the character of Seedle, played by Ron Pember. I thought, where have I heard that voice before? And it's only just come to me while we've been speaking that he 
had a part to play. Actually, no, I've, I've got TARDIS Wiki open and I clicked on him and there's a picture of Ron Pember and he appeared in an episode of Red Dwarf uh where he's going around and i think he was he was a bad dream he's that the Lister guy was... who's collecting money for for norweb yeah, yep, yeah that's the one that's the one so yeah early red dwarf so it was only a couple of years after this that he was going to be in red dwarf that's where i'd heard his voice before shadow from the avengers ron he's, pember yeah he's was in the avengers he was right no, no, everything not, yeah, well, okay. everyone was in the Avengers too. But he's yes. in the young ones as well, and things uh, like that. He's I think Space nineteen ninety nine. He may have done as well, did he? But hasn't he got a fantastic voice for radio? There's just yes. some voices that work perfectly for radio, and and his was one of those. Uh, Jane Carr, on the other hand, who did the computer voice, you've got to admire her. Come on, guys. She, yeah. she. I had to it's look at the fault. credits because. She's doing that voice and the internal computer voice too. She's doing both. And yeah, they, they both yeah. sound completely different. She's done a fantastic job at doing both. I had wondered who that was. I didn't look, I didn't go and look and, and research any of this. I wondered if it might have been Nicola Bryant doing that. I could I I suspected it was somebody else in the in the actual cast. Because right. that tends to be even Big Finish does that. Hmm. Oh, that that is, yeah, good for good for Jane. I think she yeah, again. They get their money's worth out of her in this. And once again, typical Doctor Who, you only have one other female in the whole, you know, aside from the companion, only one other speaking female part. So it says me with our three men all on here discussing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the, the lack of women in uh, Doctor Who. <laughs> so what you must be holding up, uh, Dan, the uh, 2000, around 2000 yes, release? The CD release. So I, like you, Dwayne, I've got the double set that this came on with the Genesis, Genesis. and the Daleks. So yep. a couple of years later... Because I think I managed to, I recorded them off the radio, off Pirate Radio 4. And uh, because of the nature of how it was broadcast, I think I missed the start of a couple of them. So I never heard it in its entirety until that cassette release in 88. And then, of course, there was this this CD too. But I've still got the cassette as well. See, I read uh, I read the book before I heard this. So my first, just got my first. And what was your impression of the book? It's awful. Is it? <laughs> So there's a lot, lot of exposition at the start about the the characters, isn't there? Yeah, it's 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 a lot of padding, right? To, to fill out and yeah, it did. Did Eric write the book as well? I can't he did. I've got he it. Did. He did. Yeah, I think Slip Back was the first non-television book to be released on Target, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, another yeah, guy who did the front cover. Because I got I got it in hardback too. I've got it both in hardback and paperback. So it's one of the last hardbacks to come out too. It was an unusual cover, wasn't it? It was a little bit different to your standard. It was the captain, the sort of the yeah, green yeah. monster thingy, and yeah, it's a, it's oh, very cartoonish. Who did, the, who did the cover? So yeah, so the cover by Paul Mark Tams. So we've just had a bit of a cut there, just thrown to some research and a big discussion you missed out on. Um, so the cover is certainly um, unusual because it's not done by any of the normal target people. And uh, yeah, have a look at it. It's it's the captain. Um, which is a green sort of actually it looks like a Vogon actually once again that's another Douglas Adams thing the captain was so much like a Vogon with poetry and yeah in a big bath it, it, but did I miss it did, do we know, actually know anything about the captain like what he is where he's from why he's like this nope. was that mentioned in the story or it's not explained it's just presented and we accept it yeah it's, it's been a long time since I read the book I don't again, I feel again. that when you listen to it, that it's very, very linear. That it was that it was written in a very linear way. So, okay, that's part one done, part two done, and I'd be surprised if. And I'm not. I know Eric Say was a, a professional, but I, I just get the impression he didn't go back over it uh, very often, if at all. 
as he was putting it all all out, putting it all together, because there, there are lots of things that aren't really picked up on as much as I think they could have been. Yeah, it just it just shows people desperately need a script editor. You, you need someone to go over things over and over. And and one of the things you know we've discovered with Big Finish is that a story is it, so many people go over it to actually pull it apart to make it better. And so you know the author gets commissioned. First, he does a plot does a, a plot. The plot gets handed to, to people. Nick has to approve every plot line. Other people like. Um, Richardson approves every plot line. It then goes away for a scene breakdown. The scene breakdown comes back. Now the director looks at it and makes notes. The producers make notes. It goes back to the author. They write it. It gets back more notes. So, so many people are looking at these scripts before they get produced. Whereas, I think you're right. I think back here, they employed Eric. He wrote you know, six, ten-minute scripts and handed them in. And no one else looks at it. And if, if you're not redrafting and redrafting a piece of writing, it's not going to get better. As you know, I kept trying to say to my students, yeah, the first draft is never good enough. Um, and and, and for usually your final product, hardly anything your first draft ever appears again because everything can be made better and better. So the producer on this was a guy called Paul Spencer. And um, I don't have my cassette cover with me, but I don't know if there was any other credits on it anyway. But uh, it's the only thing he's listed as doing uh, in TARDIS Wiki. So... Do you know anything about this guy, Dan? Paul Spencer? Have you ever heard his name before? Nothing whatsoever. I think he was probably the producer of Pirate Radio 4. He would have worked almost exclusively in that kind of radio, in magazine format radio, maybe in news radio. Maybe he remained in radio rather than being a drama uh, a drama commissioner. Maybe this was a reach for him because most of the show was typically sort of magazine. It was a magazine format show. I think there was something, I think Sue Townsend, the, the late writer contributed something towards it too. But I think it was, it was mostly interviews, uh, guests, uh, puzzles. I think there may have been a phone in as well. So I think he was very much of that mold and entertainment and whether he's still in radio or not, whether he remained in radio after going back now for the best part of 40 years, aren't we? Who knows? But I think if you were to look into him, that would be more likely where you'd find a career path. Yeah. So overall, I enjoy Slip Back because it's so bad. Uh, I was saying to Philip before that um, it, people often talk about Time Lash, but Time Lash is, has not got anything on Slip Back. If anyone wants to criticise Time Lash, you've got to direct him this way. This is truly, truly bad stuff. <laughs> uh, but it is so oh, no. bad. It is so bad. It's It's awesome. And I, I, it puts a smile on my face every time I listen to it. So, and, and to attach it with such a, an iconic piece of Doctor Who in Genesis of the Daleks, which is where I first heard this, it's uh, yep. it's even more baffling. So, <laughs> any final thoughts on Slip Back, guys, Philip? I would happily never listen to it again. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! No, I think you're being no. You're not being unkind. It is. It is pretty bad. I'm so so fond of it, and uh, I think it's because I still feel like I deserve a medal for being able to have listened to it week by week back then. Uh, there's also another thing that it, that it always I always forget about the show is the what they do with the theme tune with the end theme. They give it that extra oomph. We get the two that's bits right. of bursts at the end. There's two. There's a long sting. A long sting at the end. Yeah. I love that. That's, I love that. That's, there, there are things that's to love. Not, well, I was going to say, you have to listen to the entire thing to get that. So I'm not <laughs> sure if the payoff's worth that after I've just picked it up. 
But yeah, I'm so, I'm so fond. Uh, of no, it. it's at the end of every episode, which is only ten minutes long. Yeah. Ten minutes per episode, so you get yeah. that. It's it is worth listening to. I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not begrudging yeah. the fact that I listened to it again. I, I, it has no nostalgia value for me. I didn't hear it at the time. Um, I mean, you know, once again, the UK got different things to what we got, and Doctor Who has a different status over there than it has over here. I mean, everyone everyone in Australia knows Doctor Who. Because it's it the on, same but different, it, isn't it? Yes, it's the same but different. But it certainly hasn't. It yeah, things like this were never. I don't think ever released particularly over here, and certainly they would if they were played on radio, we would have known about it. So it has no nostalgic value for me whatsoever. Um, I'm happy. To, I'm glad. No, I'm not glad. I listened to it and it was okay. And I, I think lots of things I could say about it. I mean, it, it's easy to say things often when things don't go well than do go well because there's more to talk about. Um, you know, the, the, it's the bad plays I've seen, the hideous, absurdist dramas that I can talk about for hours, but I didn't enjoy them at all. Where I can sit to a piece of theatre and, and or a good piece of television, and you just, yeah, it was great. Nothing to say. So I've got lots I could say about this, but as I said, if I never listen to it again, that's fine by me. I just love that it exists. But now I'm picturing, Dwayne, how you must have been when you got that double tape, thinking, what's this on the other cassette? Point in and thinking, <laughs> What? <laughs> what? <laughs> it is uh it is a bizarre thing, I tell you. But guys, listen, it's been great to to talk to you both about some of these uh early releases on Doctor Who Audio. It's been thrilling to go back and share these with you, especially you, Dan. Oh, thank you both for inviting me. I, I genuinely think that this this group of stories of releases are really, really special, and I, they're they're freely available now, aren't they? I would imagine they're even streaming somewhere, and the CDs are probably it's certainly not not been withdrawn from sale. And even if they were, eBay's probably probably full of them. But I do hope people still seek them out somehow because there is great entertainment value to be had. And uh, yeah, I, the ones that I hadn't heard in a, in a while, it's vindicated for me my. Extend, the extended period of my of my life when I was really young that I spent tracking anything Doctor Who related down. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you asked me to look at these because they're yeah, real blast from the past. If we got we talk about all that stuff though, if everything that comes out now is big finish, then this is these are the little beginnings, aren't they? The little starts. Yeah, and, and there's special moments that show what was happening in society at the time. I mean, that exploration Earth, as I said, I don't think it's that good. But in terms of, it, it would be made, you wouldn't make a radio program now for kids that tries to explain the universe. You just wouldn't, you wouldn't do it that way. You'd show a YouTube clip. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a blast from the past. It shows a bit of what was happening in the world and society at the time. And I think all four of these, exact, all four of these show that sort of example of how the world was, but we're not there anymore. Very good. We're almost at the end of our podcast, but for one thing, and that is our recommendations of something on audio. Now, I'd love, Dan, for you to go first, but I can't do that because it's always Philip's turn for some reason. So, Philip, what have you got for us? <laughs> Apparently, I'm totally selfish. Um, I'm going to recommend something for Big Finish because we haven't talked much about Big Finish. And it's something that came out a long time ago. And in the midst of trying to listen to so much stuff and getting, yeah. We listened to a lot of stuff to get put these podcasts out. Um, I listened to the first 10 minutes. It didn't grab me enough for me to go back to. And it sort of sat there. And I went back to it recently. And it's fantastic. And that's the Peter Davison box set, 40. Um, so as I said, it came out a long time ago. Was it 
even last year, I don't, I can't actually tell you when it even was. It was the first release of this year. First release of this year. Okay. So I finally got to it. It's only six months late. Um, and it was fantastic. <laughs> like, I, I don't know why the first 10 minutes didn't particularly throw me the first time. I don't know what I was doing at the time. So it's two stories. Um, so the secret of Telos um, and the gods of war. The secret of Telos takes place about three hours after the ship has blasted off from Telos. In so Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah. So, yes, from Tomb of the Cybermen. So, second well, same characters, Captain Hopper. That's right. So, second yep. Doctor story, that those who managed to survive the tomb, which wasn't that many characters really, um, are in the spaceship and the, and the Doctor arrives. Now, there is also another th- plot thread carrying on through it, which is the fact that the fifth Doctor is being sent through time. And so the Doctor, as he arrives at, at the point with, with Tegan and Nyssa, um, so it's, it's soon after they've been involved with, um, before Turlo's come in, they're just, they're just the three of them travelling. But the Doctor's come from before Adric has died. And so he's been shoved through time, and so he doesn't know that Adric's dead. And so you have this Nyssa and Tegan working out, well, what do we tell him? Because he shouldn't know the future. Um, and so you've got this whole Cyberman story, which is taking place and the crew slowly being converted and, and things. So there's a bit of body horror and stuff, not too much, but it's just a really gripping story. And you've got this other background plot of what's going on with the doctor in terms of time. And then at the end of the story, it then goes to a a different story, um, where suddenly the doctor's then sent back through time, back when Adric's alive again, um, and you're, and you're now dealing with the, the Doctor having facts about knowing that Adric's going to die in the future, and what does he tell him, and should he leave Adric behind where he could be happy with someone he's found? Um, it's all set in the ice in, I was say Norway? Is it Norway? Anyhow, it's somewhere up, far up north, glaciers and stuff. So they're just two, two ripping tales, um, which in themselves work, but then you've also got this overriding thread, which hasn't been included yet, so it's obviously going to be the next box set. Yes, continuing on with the six-part Auton story coming up in a couple of months. There you go. So, I mean, I think Janet Fielding and Sarah Sutton are both superb in it. Peter Davison actually is, is doing a really great job. Matthew Waterhouse is great in the couple of episodes he's in as well. Um, yeah, so I don't know why it's taking me so long to get to it. And I guess often some of the Fifth Doctor stories hit or miss for me. And so I just wasn't that enthused to get to it. But now I've hit it, I'm thinking, wow, and I can't wait for the next box set. Awesome. I've yacked on too long about that. I'm so sorry, but it's, it's excited me. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Fifth Doctor Adventures, 40, Secrets of Telos, and God of War. Honestly, all of you, there's no need to worry. I'm absolutely fine. Where's Adric? Adric? There is no space for weakness. Oh no. What is it? An ice warrior. You will not interfere! But tell us, after all the discussions we had. You belong to us! He bears tears, Mark. Fenrir's bite! There are many ways to lose a hand. There had to be something hostile here. Otherwise, why drag me along my timeline? I am Cybermen? Aren't they the things the professor dug up on that rock? 
Mars is dead. You speak lies. It is not possible. Cybermans! Dozens of them! My warriors, destroy these primitives. I'll break out the weapons. We're going on a bug hunt. You will be like us now. You will be destroyed. One step closer, Doctor, and she dies. All humans will be converted. Don't you know, Parry? The Doctor is an alien, a Gallifreyan. You side with these humans. You have created a weapon to save them. Doctor, Hadric died. Doctor, Hadric? Hadric, you're back. Back? I haven't been anywhere. Big finish. We love stories. How about Dan goes next? Now I've butted it's, him with it's, going it's first. It's great though, isn't it? It's when you, when you were, uh, particularly when, You've got so many things that are sort of preying on our time, you know, for the things that we we have to watch in the watch lists that seem to go on forever, and a pile of audio stuff. If you if you like, we are and love audio drama. Just the big finish stuff just piles up and piles up and piles up, and and I don't listen to any of it in order of release either. I sort of pick a, a clump of releases and go for that. And at the moment, I'm not listening to any Doctor Who at all. I'm listening to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in audiobook form, yep, read fantastic. by Douglas Adams. And so so you guys, you know, we, we talked about Slipback and and um, everything that Eric was trying to do with that and how it undoubtedly is a bit Hitchhiker-ish made me, brought that to mind. And uh, this particular audiobook, so read by Douglas Adams, you... Here, I mean, it's completely unabridged, the entire thing. And he puts on different voices for all of the characters. And it's really sold to me. I suppose this must have been recorded. It's a very primitive audiobook. And I understand that people like Stephen Fry have since recorded audiobooks based on this. But hearing Adams himself do it and hear him get inside the heads of his own characters, it's really eye-opening. And I'm I'm getting towards the end of the first book now, but I'm going to stick with with these releases. I've I've had them for a long time. I'm going to stick with them, and it's sort of it's helping me rediscover Douglas Adams for another podcast that I'm that I'm working on at the moment. Because as I say, I'm a sort of lapsed reader. You know, well, I was joking about earlier on about me not being interested unless it's a comic book. Because I was only half joking. You know, I do something about my attention span lately. So I've been sort of reading the book as I've been listening to the audio book at the same time. But yeah, I would recommend that after us mentioning Douglas Adams so often in this episode, that if, you, if you've if you never heard Red Hitchhiker in any form, go back to it. And, and these audiobooks in particular, because obviously there's the radio versions and they're brilliant. I love them. These audio versions, these audio audiobooks are kind of what we were saying about Genesis of the Daleks earlier on. It's another version of something we're familiar with that sheds alternative light on what is a really important piece of uh, popular culture, sci-fi history from a very particular time in uh, in British entertainment. That's a great choice, Dan. Very good. I haven't, I haven't heard those, so I want to I want to give them a listen. Also, not forgetting the Hitchhikers, not just radio series, but the LP versions of the series, which are different to the radio versions. So uh, they're very good too. Um, I'm going to recommend some music. 
Philip, you're usually recommending music. It's my turn this time to do some music. And one of my favourite bands has just released a brand new album after 13 years. I think it's 13 years since their last one. Uh, Porcupine Tree. I think they're number one in the charts in the UK at the moment with this album. It's called Closure Erase. Hang on. What's it called? I forgot oh, what it's called. It? It's oh. called. Hang on. I've got to keep that in now, Philip. It's called. Hang on. Hang on. Let me have a look. <laughs> oh, I've got to get it the right way around. It's two words. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, man. Okay. It's called. Are we ready? It's called Closure Continuation. And uh, yeah, I've, I've often spoken about. The man behind the band, Stephen Wilson, who's who I'm a I'm a huge fan of. I've been following him for years, following the band for years, and uh, I never actually believed that this would happen. Uh, and it's a very good album, so I recommend that anyone who likes some good uh, progressive rock music go and have a listen to this. Porcupine Tree continue. What did I call it? I can't remember. Go and listen to it. New Porcupine Tree. Closure continuation. Yeah, that's it. You listen better than I do, Philip. I know that much. All right. Thank you very much, guys. It's been great being in your company for this last little while and talking about some of these things that we love. It has been. Make sure you go listen to them. It's worth it. Oh, what's happening over at Type 40 at the moment, Dan? Anything exciting? There's lots and lots of buzz in the world of television Doctor Who. There is. And as you notice, when you asked me what I'd been listening to, I resisted the urge to plug my own show. Go on, plug it. Plug it. On Type 40 at Doctor Who. On Type 40 of Doctor Who podcast at the moment, we have, we've sounded the klaxon and we're we're doing Dalek Mania 2022 style. So we've got a cluster of shows that we're, we're not hitting, hitting them, <laughs> hitting people with them week after week after week, but we're, we're uh, sort of um, timing it to coincide with these 4K Blu-ray releases of the two Peter Cushing movies, the Doctor Who and the Daleks and Daleks Invasion of 2150. We've got those coming out too. And we're, we're talking to a few people connected to those films and to the Daleks over the summer as well, whilst we sort of twiddle our thumbs and wait on whatever Russell T. Davies is going to deliver with, with David Tennant, Catherine Tate, Shooty Gatwa and everybody else that's going to be involved in the in the, the second comeback of Doctor Who next year. We can't wait. And we're talking about that, obviously, on Type 40 and Type 40 Live, which is our, our sister show, which is broadcast completely live on the Spacebook YouTube channel every Thursday from 8 p.m. UK time, which I think is 5 a.m. for 5 us. 5 a.m. in the morning for you guys. Yeah, yes, it's a very lively magazine I, show. I get, a, I get a notification when I wake up saying Type 40 is uh, running at the moment uh, and it's about 7 o'clock. I usually go, oh, tune in now and it's finished. <laughs> yes, that sounds about right. But yeah, it's complete, completely unscripted, uh, largely off the wall. We get a good collection of characters come in. People, the general principle is people of lots of different ages. Ideally, we've got people from all over the world too that come along and talk about whatever is going off in Doctor Who that week in the news or to scratch some itches. And then we put it out for everybody to watch and to listen to on the Facebook YouTube channel and at our Type 40 feed, our dedicated home feed, type40.podbean.com. You get podcast editions of the live stream shows for your ears, as well as the Type 40 podcast itself. Thanks for for indulging that plug, gentlemen. Good stuff. I'm excited about the Dalek shows because I'm going to the cinemas next, not this weekend coming, but next week. I guess when this hits the hits the uh, podcast feeds, it'll have been a few days ago when I've gone and seen the Dalek films at the cinema. So I wasn't going to, but I happened to be in Hobart where it's going to be screening that weekend. So I thought I'll go and see them while I'm there. So I'm 
Feel Are you going fire. to see him, Feel that fire. I'm away for the weekend, so um, ah, I won't be able to attend, which is I'm a bit sad about because I, I love the films, especially the second one. I, yeah, this, the Dalek Invasion of Earth or whatever it is, Dalek Invasion 2050? Is it? 2150 AD. 2150 AD. I, I love that film. Like, well, it was, it's, it's the Bernard Cribbin show, isn't it? And with Bernard being back on set, I think it's timely yeah. that he's out in Doctor Who in the cinema. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. And it, and it used to be on every six months, on you know, Sunday afternoons, every six months or so. And so I just remember always watching the, read, you know, read the TV guide, waiting for them to come back again. Oh, they're back again. And then watching them again. I recorded them on a tape deck, so I had I have them on tape. So, yeah, they mean a lot to me. Excellent. All right, that'll do us for this time, guys. Great to have your company, as I said, and we will catch you all next time. See everyone. Thanks, guys. This has been The Sirens of Audio, Episode 116, The Early Audio Adventures, with our guest Dan Hadley and your hosts, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Original theme music composed by Joe Kramer. Contact us or check out all our details and info at sirensofaudio.com. Drop us a line at sirensofaudio at gmail.com or post a comment on our socials or our YouTube channel and let us know your thoughts on this or any one of our episodes. Thanks for listening, audiophiles. We'll catch you next time.